Welcome back to Balling in the Six. This is your Toronto Raptors podcast straight out of London. We've had a crazy day and night of free agency. There's been trades flying in. There's got to be trades flying in throughout this episode. In fact, we'll get them straight from our sources. We're also going to discuss who's the winners, who's the losers, but mainly who goes most under the radar in the trades. We're going to skip past the nets. Everyone's discussed the nets. Stephen A's reacted to the nets, and we're going to have his reaction, not exclusively for us, but we're going to have his reaction. So let's get right into it. Needed a few minutes to grab it, gather my composure. Somehow, some way, I'm just trying to just hold it together, you know? Lifelong Nick fan. Years of mediocrity. I thought this was gonna be it. At least weeks ago. And then you know when I was doing first take. And we were in Oakland and I got word about Kyrie in Brooklyn. Realizing that that meant KD in Brooklyn. Realizing that the New York Knicks were gonna go without anything. $70 million in cap space. Porzingis gone. Porzingis can't be gone. And we don't get KD. And we don't get Durant and Kyrie, rather. No way. This can't happen. This can't happen. But it happened. The New York. KD on the market, Kyrie on the market, Clay, Kemba, Jimmy Butler. They can't get somebody to come in that square though. But because Brooklyn's got Sean Marks and because Brooklyn's got Kenny Atkinson and because Brooklyn has Live Nation. And they're Brooklyn. In three years, the Brooklyn Nets have accomplished what we've been waiting for the New York Knicks to pull off for a half century. And more specifically, in 20 years, in the last 20 years, this is what they pulled off. This is what they pulled off. I know the Knicks are going to go out and get somebody maybe like a Julius Randle. But how am I supposed to feel? I'm going to try to get it together by first take tomorrow. But I can't promise y'all what I'm going to do. I can't promise what I'm going to say. See y'all in the morning. Peace. Some huge trades so far in free agency. It's just been a day, but there's been 48 trades worth 3.2 billion 
in contracts. And apparently, we've got one more. We're going to bring in Blazers correspondent Samuel Jeffries. Samuel, take it away. Live on air. According to Woj, the Portland Trail Blazers have traded Mohawkless and Myers Leonard for Hassan Whiteside with the Miami Heat. That is a trade that has just broken. We've got our sources on the ground there. Thank you, Samuel. Back off to Portland now. Um, and to help us dissect the winners and losers of the subtle trade market, we've got the Turk himself. Welcome back. What, what, what is that? What is that, that trade? What is Thank that you. trade? What is what that is Hassan Whiteside trade? What? What? What is that? Well, it's a it's a salary dump, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, but who wins that? Who wins that trade? I mean, this just shows how dissatisfied Miami have been with Hassan Whiteside. He's been an absolute liability for them all season. But I, I know there was like a lot of friction with the organization. But you've traded for Jimmy Butler. Where where's this the vision for this team? Miles then is what not are you doing? You are you becoming a mid-table team? Are you becoming a team that kind of hangs around the sixth, fifth, fifth or sixth seed to satisfy the fans? Suddenly you're not because you've traded away. Although he's been a liability, you've traded away a good center. You know, a top fifteen center. Yeah, he's and he's definitely got the potential. It, the the issue is potentially his work ethic, but um. Mo Harkless isn't exactly on a uh, small contract either, is he? No, I mean, uh, it's uh, Mo and Myers. Le Myers Leonard is on the bigger contract. Um, of oh, course, really? Myers Leonard of Game 4 Western Conference Finals fame, where he yeah, dropped 30 yeah. Warriors. Yeah, but he has developed an outside He's not story. brilliant there. Yeah, well, um, maybe uh, the Heat also looking at the fact that he can shoot from the outside. Whiteside is obviously an awful shooter. He's awful from the free throw line. Uh, I guess they're going in the direction the league is going in, but oh, that's yeah, that's 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 a really strange one. Does that now open enough cap space for the Heat to um have enough for like a free agent? In, no, they are uh, well over cap space. Wow. Well, yes, because they have like a lot a lot of wing players. I think they got rid of um who is it? Was it Josh Richardson recently? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, what. Richardson now on the 76ers. Yeah, yeah. I guess just to, I mean, obviously we're going through the subtle trade market. There's a lot of trade, so we can't stay too long on a single one. Yeah. And just talking of the Sixers, of course, they got rid of Butler, as we've talked about, and they yeah. brought in Josh Richardson and Al Horford. Now, yeah. I get it from the Celtics' point of view. The Celtics are obviously going a bit younger. But yeah. from Philly's point of view, where does Al Horford come in? Is he just a good backup to Embiid or helps Embiid play less minutes, bit of load management during the season? Yeah. I bring I, it I think, yeah, they're there, they're looking at the regular season. I think that's a great pickup for the regular season. Um Al Horford playing fifteen to twenty minutes a game. I believe that's what his role should have actually been on the Celtics. Cause um historically Al Horford has been a terrific defensive player, but this last season he has Definitely, certainly, he wasn't a liability on that end, but he is starting uh, certainly to deteriorate on that end. And I would argue his offensive end um, is probably his strength now. Aaron Baines for the Celtics was their linchpin on defense last year. So 
Yes, for the regular season, it's great. But can you see Horford and Embiid, say, coexisting in, for example, the starting lineup, potentially with, say, Embiid playing as the power forward, as the more, more, more mobile player? I don't see that happening. No, I think, um, as we've said, and as I suggested initially, Embiid, as we know, is very injury prone. He did suffer in the playoffs from illness, and part of it was he wasn't load managed like Kawhi was. So I think you've yeah. uh, got a vet to take off some minutes, but still keep you winning games. There's no problem. What? Uh, so if you give some quick grades, actually, I've got the ringers, uh, the ringers grading of each trade that gone th- went through on free agency day. They yeah. gave it a C plus. That for album. the Sixers. Uh, yeah, C plus for the Sixers. Because it's a four-year, hundred nine million deal, I'd say it's a C minus, just because you're bringing in a very expensive bench player. Sorry, a four? Did you say four-year contract? Four-year, hundred nine million deal. But he's already he's already started to deteriorate. That that that's I think that's undeniable. Anyone who watched him last season, he's not the Al Horford of the Atlanta Hawks um, in 2012, 2011 season. That's a shocking deal. It's in a trade, of- trade, and because. Imagine they could have spent some of that money on JJ Redick. Yes, exactly. Signed a two-year, twenty-seven million deal yeah, with yeah. New Orleans and, and I'm sure JJ Redick, like throughout most of his career, he hasn't exactly taken a pay hit. He's always been potentially one of the more overpaid players on every team he's been on. If JJ stayed on that team, then they are an absolutely legit contender for the championship next season. So. I'm sure he would have been willing to take a bit of a pay cut as well. Maybe more around the like seven, eight million a season mark. So, yeah, this is interesting because I've seen other analysts say now Philly are potentially in the commanding position in the East, which I certainly would disagree with. I think um, I would put Milwaukee's favourites for next. Well, I think we can, we can discuss the actual makeup of the new teams now in the next part. Um, but no, you're right in that Philly... I think they've certainly gone downhill from last season. They were a very scary team last season. I think, as we've mentioned, the Raptors against Philly series was one of the best, I think the best series in the, best, the 2019 yeah. playoffs as a whole. Uh, the def- the talent on both sides, the defense on both sides. And, you know, it was won by what we are now calling the shot. We do not refer to MJ shot as the yeah. shot. We refer to Kawhi as for the win. That kind of shot. Um, just look at one more one maybe one or two more deals we'll look at before before we take a break is um Malcolm Brogdon signed a four-year deal with the Indiana Pacers of course uh Pacers got rid of Corey Joseph and actually Darren Collison who we can discuss another time he is now becoming a Jehovah's Witness so he's off the team as we know and they picked up Malcolm Brogdon as a pair so Brogdon and Oladipo some people are calling this one of the most fun backcourts in Pacers history, I think could be one of the most fun backcourts in the league this season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I see it with all that has happened today. I did that somehow managed to fly under my radar. Um, um, what's the reasoning for Milwaukee doing that? Is it simply that Brogdon um, was he was he feeling undervalued in Milwaukee? Well, yeah, I mean, and you got to remember, Milwaukee do have a kind of... They had three point guards last season. They had Bledsoe, Hill, and Brogdon. So I assume, you know, they're retaining the other two services. You know, a youngster, a young... Well, I guess Bledsoe and Hill are two veterans. They're retaining their services and maybe getting rid of the slightly younger 
Brogdon, uh, he, you know, yeah. he was he, he was expensive. You know, his four years, eighty five million. So, Bucks obviously trying to get some salary cap maybe uh, going into uh, next year's or twenty twenty one's free agency. Yeah, yeah, potentially. But no, that's but, a good. Thing. I think. Yeah, please go on. Yeah, I, I just have a. I guess that's the issue because George Hill, we maybe at this level he's playing at, George Hill's still a very solid player, but. You give it probably once two years before you say, yeah, you wouldn't, um, you're not going to win, even as, with him as a backup point guard, um, simply because yeah, he's going to lose any athleticism, remaining athleticism that he has. But I don't see a team winning with Bledsoe as their starting point guard. I see a team winning with um, Brogdon, with seeing how he's developed, especially in the past two or three years. I see him as these like a good starting caliber point guard. I think Bledsoe's too inefficient for, uh, to play that role. And, um, I mean, Bledsoe I think was as... very disappointing in the Eastern Conference Finals last season, of course. Brogdon was the man who was delivering. Uh, he was that one of the only guys who was delivering except for Giannis. Yeah. And so, um, but I think, I think with the Bucks, it just has to be, it just has to be the salary. It just has to be the salary there. Yeah, because they shouldn't be. I would say be patient with the Bucks. Like you, you're not in a desperate win now, absolutely next season scenario as other teams maybe, such as the Lakers. So, yeah, it's a, you're right. It probably is the salary considerations is the uh, biggest factor there. Yeah, so I think uh, we're gonna have a look at a couple more trades. Uh, Ricky Rubio is he gonna make the Suns one of the spookiest teams next season? He's gonna pair up with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton at the, in Phoenix. And I think, you know, firstly, playing in that kind of system, you've got an excellent shooter in Booker. You've got an excellent big man in Ayton. And Rubio is almost the perfect dimer, kind of Rondo-esque with a little bit more Spanish flair there. <laughs> and, um, you know, what, what, what's the Suns' plan going forward? Of course, uh, Rubio isn't getting any younger. Uh, are the Suns, are they going to start making a push for it now? Yeah, I I essentially think the front office there is looking at the fact that DeAndre Ayton, one of the big complaints our fans uh, had last season was the fact that he wasn't getting enough touches because Ayton did have a very efficient season for a rookie, especially as a rookie centre. Um wasn't placed in the most, you know, stable situation. And he put up very, very solid numbers. And um, his usage rate, I think, was fourth on that team, which is a joke. Uh, he really should be second to uh, Booker. And I think um, they're, they're probably looking at Ricky Rubio as a piece in the next two to three years to potentially improve, like, the basketball IQ of D. Booker while also... Um, looking to, you know, uh, yeah, Rubio as a point guard. I think he will bring the best out of Aiton. Um, he'll be the best player to see, you know, um, Aiton develop into what, like, fans, commentators, analysts think he can become. So, Exactly. Um, well, that's a whirlwind look just through some of the 49 deals that I've gone through uh, today and yesterday. After the break, we're going to look at teams who can compete this year, who has been most affected positively and negatively by free agency. And otherwise, we're just uh, going to take a look at the dumpster fire that is the New York Knicks. <laughs> see you after the break.
Welcome back from the break. We're now going to actually go into the teams. What does this day of free agency mean for the rest of the season? And I see no better teams to start with than, no, we're not going to do the Nets. We're actually going to stick to the West for once. We're going to have a look at the Warriors. So for context, the Warriors shipped off Kevin Durant and Andre Iguodala. However, they surprisingly signed D'Angelo Russell on a four-year, $117 million deal. Viral, are the Warriors better off than last season? Absolutely not. It depends on uh, what we're talking about here. Are we talking about an injury-free Warriors last season? Because absolutely not there. They are not better off. But considering the fact that KD was going to be absent for the early, well, for pretty much the majority of the season... And as is Clay, this trade with uh, D'Angelo Russell, I, I'm, at first anyway, I was again very intrigued. But some reports that I have seen have suggested that it's potentially a sign and trade, and they're going to look to ship off D'Angelo either um, in this window or potentially um, in, in the mid-season, next off-season. So. Um, Otherwise, I, I think you would agree here. Um, I'm not sure how the team chemistry would work when Clay comes back. Well, they're going to go a little bit smaller, right? They're going to definitely have D'Angelo on the floor at all times. So it's going to be Curry, D'Angelo. Clay's going to go at small forward. You're going to have Draymond. And uh, depending on whether Boogie resigns or not, you'll have Boogie. If not, you'll have a new and improved Kevon Looney. In my opinion, that's a much more fluid and a much more fun team than a team with Kevin Durant. Of course, before the NBA Finals, the Warriors were 31-1 and without Kevin Durant. And even during the Finals, they looked a much more fluid team. So I think if you look on the surface of it, you're essentially... Andre Godola, who is a cracking player off the bench and was through to his end at the Warriors. Yeah. For D'Angelo Russell, who is brilliant in his own right, he is. But in terms of in terms of how that team is uh, going to be on the floor, it's the exact same issue the Houston Rockets had. You can live in your um, fancy land and say, "Oh, you can have uh, James Harden running the point, Chris Paul shooting guard, Eric Gordon at the three. Frankly, that didn't work for that team. They never had those three on the floor at the same time. And it will be the same case for the Warriors. And this is where the biggest issue lies. I can see Clay playing the three. He is that good a defender. He switches on shooting forwards all the time anyway. He's not going to have too much difficulty defending a shooting forward, um, except if he's shoot, defending somebody like uh, KD or, say, um, if he's defending a Pascal Siakam who's got, like, four or five inches on him. But... I think the biggest problem there is actually having Steph at the two. Defensively, he's going to get, uh, pardon my Vietnamese here, he's going to get shat on. Um, D'Angelo himself isn't the best defender. Um, so if you have those three on the floor, I, I would love to see D'Angelo as the point guard because that's his biggest strength. He's an absolutely fantastic playmaker. Steph is also a very good playmaker, but potentially his strength could offensively could be as a shooting guard as he so frequently cuts anyway. But 
I don't know. I just don't see any cohesiveness there as a, as a defensive unit. That's fair. And that's some very valid comments about the Warriors itself. And so we'll go from the Celtics, who for a time look to be turning into somewhat of an eighth seed, some maybe a swap with the Nets, perhaps revenge for that trade all those years ago. Mm -hmm. But the so the Celtics, they end up getting rid of Kyrie and Al Horford, of course, as well as players like Marcus Morris, Aaron Baines. But they brought in and as of now, live trade again, they've just brought in Enes Cantor <laughs> as well on a two-year deal. How much? Cantor, uh, if we go to, I'm just uh, giving my source a ring right now. He's on a two-year, 10 million deal contract, according to my to my source on the ground. Um, wow. Significant upgrade from his bet min contract in Portland. Yeah. That's a cracking. That's a cracking deal for the yeah, Celtics. Cracking for both sides. Um, so how? What, what do you think about? Um, so with with Kemba running the point. Um, and of course, them also losing uh, Terry Rozier as the backup point guard. Um, overall, uh, yeah, where would you where would you place the Celtics? Like, where where do you see them? What do you I see think, them next I season? I think they are where exactly where they are right now. There are some who say that players like Tatum had their kind of second season syndrome last year and will continue to improve this season and build on his rookie year. But I think they're gonna be exactly where they are, challenge for that fourth or fifth seed, maybe get to the conference finals, but most likely a first or second round exit and essentially stay the same. I think they'll be a bit more fun this year. I mean, they were pretty horrible to watch to most people last year, but I think their lineups just like, let's a little bit more fluid. And of course, Kemba's just a lovely player to watch. Yeah, and he is selfless, which I think is what that team needs. But they they got rid of their two bigs. Have they Have they brought anyone in? Because uh, Aaron Baines, I would have loved to see Aaron Baines stay there, actually. Um, uh, he's, I think he's a solid starting uh, centre, obviously playing in Al Horford's shadow for the majority of his career for Celtics. But um, I think that's, that's going to be an issue, the five, for them, unless they've brought somebody in. No, it's just, it's just Kemba and Cantor right now. So they are going to be struggling for bigs. So potentially Cantor at the five. Dan which, oh, yeah. Daniel Thice they brought back. The, um, yeah, yeah, and that's three-time not... all-star, of course. Um, but potentially, and... they're going to start a cancer there, which um, yeah, that's it's interesting. Portland I'm, I'm... did it. Portland got to the conference finals with cancer. Yeah. Um, ah, okay. He, he was so poor defensively again, but of course he is. Celtics have historically been a good defensive team, so potentially having some um, you know, offensive fire firepower, like his defensive liabilities may be covered by the rest of the team. So. It's true. It's true. Um, quite an interesting team as well in the East. Of course, this is a team, one of the only teams actually, to beat the Raptors in the playoffs at the Scotiabank Arena this season was the Orlando Magic. Yeah. They managed to do it in the opening game of the playoffs. Uh, they've retained Nikola Vucevic after many people thought, of course, they'd trade him away last season. They've also brought yeah. in... Al Farouk Aminu from the Blazers on a nice small contract. Mm. And um, they've kept Terence Ross, who was one of the contenders for sixth man of the year. So Orlando are going to be quite interesting because, of course, they managed to squeeze in the eighth seed last time. 
maybe with Miami getting Buckler and the Nets becoming, you know, one of the one of the teams to beat in the East, they might not be so lucky this time. But I got to say, yeah, the Magic looking, really, looking very good next year. Yeah, they've just retained players, really, haven't they? Um, like you said, Amino on that deal. Um, I, I don't have anything to add. I think you're spot on. Um, they're probably going to be contending for the lower places in the uh, in those playoffs next year. Right. So before we get to the dumpster fire, I'm going to talk about maybe a couple of... One team slept on, and the Bulls haven't really managed their front office. The front office haven't done a great job in recent years, but I think they've done a pretty solid job this round time. They um, drafted Kobe White, of course, who as we said back in watch, was one of the most exciting players in the uh, March Madness in the NCAA. And uh, they've also picked up Thomas Sataransky from the Wizards and uh, Thaddeus Young. And so last season, of course, you know, you have Laurie Markkinen coming back from injury. You have quite a fun, a solid team. Uh, not one good enough to compete or even challenge for the playoffs. But this season, it's something different. I think you've got a couple few young, few more youngsters coming in. And I think the Bulls could take the step, you know, they the step towards stopping tanking and starting to make their way slowly back to the eighth seed where, you know, a lot of their fan base feel they belong in, in the Eastern playoffs. Well, um, they lost Bobby Porters, didn't they? Who was one of their more they bizarre did, yeah. last year. Um, I, I completely disagree with you. I think they have made good moves, but I just... Yeah, I don't. I don't see them getting close to the playoffs again. Like again, there's Laurie. Who else is really helping there? Well, maybe not this season, but I mean, you've got Kobe White as your point guard. You've got Thomas Sadaransky, who filled in brilliantly for John Wall uh, when he was out of the Wizards. Yeah, you know, you've got you have got players now like Thaddeus Young, who is a very underrated player, especially on defense. And you know, you've got. You've got, you've got a decent young squad there. I'm not saying they're going to make playoffs this year, but I'm saying instead of hanging around that, hovering around that 15th place with uh, 19 wins or so, yeah. they've got to you know, pick up 30-plus maybe this season and start uh, yeah. being a team that Chicago wants again. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, I just, it's playoffs, I think, just is a bit of a stretch. But I do agree with you. They're looking good for the future. Yeah. So do you want to, do you want to praise more teams or do you want to go to teams who just really suck and really don't deserve to be mentioned except in a negative Please, I think I must mention, I think this team has seen that, frankly, the landscape next season is wide open and they pounce. And we did, um, we have talked about this previously uh, with the Mike Conley trade to the Utah Jazz, but the Jazz have made some serious moves. Yeah, let's, uh, let's go through them now. I mean... Of course, they got rid of uh, rid of the likes of Ricky, but uh, they signed Bojan Bogdanovic, which is huge, absolutely huge. It's a nice trade. It's a nice trade because it's a four-year, seventy-three million deal. It's not that expensive, but they got a great wing. He's a great shooter, and yeah. you know, someone to pair up with uh, Jingles, as it were, yeah. and uh, maybe improve on that first round, first round exit. Yeah, I, I. I, I don't want to be too optimistic, but I would not at all be surprised if they made the conference finals. Like, that squad looks absolutely geared. As long as Donovan Mitchell, you know, um, 
again, he potentially had a slight slump last year, um, like Jason Tatum, but that team is pretty much ready in every position now. I mean, do you know do you know that lineup right now is looking like Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Joe Ingles, uh, Bojan Bogdanovic, and Rudy Gobert, yeah. and that's, that's not even counting the depth that they have. Yeah, then they've always they've been deep for the past three or four years. So yeah, they play the correct basketball. Quinn Snyder is a fantastic coach. That team is going to be a nightmare defensively, an absolute nightmare. I think potentially the only player you could say is um, going to let them down defensively is Donovan Mitchell. But yeah, that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. Of course, they've actually just picked up Ed Davis, who's a very useful, uh, very useful block block man as it were. So that's another nice piece to add to their depth. For sure, for sure. Um, we could move on to the uh, dumpster fire section then. Oh, you do? You don't want to talk? Oh, well, I think we can actually... I was about to talk about Philly, but I suppose to some, they're in that section. Yeah, uh, especially well, we because to... of one particular trade, Tobias Harris. Five-year, 180 million. I'll let you talk this one through. Whoever his agent is, uh, that man is a miracle worker. I think the only reason they retained him is uh, they didn't want to spoil the fledgling bromance between um, the big Serbian one. I can't remember his name. I think it's Bojan. Um, Tobias Harris showed himself in the playoffs last season. He is potentially a good third or fourth scoring option. But giving him that contract an overpaid max contract. We've seen in previous seasons, overpaying max contracts to players who don't deserve it is probably one of the worst moves you can make. And um, Chris Paul is just an example. You have um, you have um, Chandler Parsons with the Mavericks. Um, this, ah, uh, he is 26, he's still young and um, if he's not injured in these five years, I would still argue that contract is not worth it, even if he doesn't get injured. Obviously, that's a very real possibility that he does miss some games because he's going to have the heavy load trying to carry the scoring load of that team. So I'm flabbergasted, frankly. I mean, and he and when you talk about playoff performances, he did not deliver in yes, this playoffs. Exactly. He was not good against Toronto. Um, if we look at the stats, he played 12 games. He averaged 37 minutes a night. Uh, he only dropped 15. He only actually made one and a half threes a game. And for a three and D player, for before you went there, it's a, it's a three point marksman. Exactly, and and you and you're just not making enough threes in the playoffs. And you know, some say he actually lost lost Philly that series against Toronto. So that's that's yes. a, that's a weird trade as well, especially when you're piling money to the likes of Al Horford, for example. Uh, yes. uh, what do you think about Josh Richardson, Camille? What about him? Well, this I think this is why analysts have been so excited because I think they're overrating the potential of Al Horford. They haven't dissected really the uh, lack of value in that contract they've given to Tobias Harris, but. What they have said is, well, Josh Richardson, he's had a very similar career trajectory to Jimmy Butler. He steadily improved year on year. Last season, he had mediocre in terms of efficiency, in terms of scoring, but he really saw a step up in both his role 
um, in the Miami team, but also he did. He was a 16 points per game scorer last year. He's very good on the defensive end. So people have made those parallels with Jimmy Butler, um, just showing that you know their work ethic and how far, how quickly they progressed from their rookie season. But this is this is the disrespect people show Jimmy Butler. He is not going to replace Jimmy Butler on that team. That's I think the media is saying, oh wow, this young new young talent, this Philly team is now young. For the next four or five seasons, they can contend, which is true. But he is not going to immediately, and I would argue, ever fill Jimmy Butler's shoes. And it's just uh, it's just a new level of disrespect to even compare those two players. I agree. I mean, I think as we said before, Butler was one of the standout players this playoffs. He pretty much dragged Philly all the way to seven games against the Raptors. He even almost won it for them with that last second layup as well. And essentially, Josh Richardson, whatever, you're right, whatever you say about him, he's, I mean, he's not young. He's, he's 26. I mean, okay, he's going into his prime years now as a wing. But he will, nowhere, he will be nowhere near the production, the hustle, the defense, and overall the over- talent and if you want to compete i think you've gone from a big four now to a big three exactly which isn't yeah. ideal obviously yeah. uh, uh, like, do you now. ever see him having the ceiling like uh reaching ever reaching the say butler's level of play oh no for sure yeah he's got i mean a high floor low ceiling kind of player josh richardson yeah exactly let's see, let's, let's not get embarrassed on this uh on this <laughs> when, when he inevitably well, we're known for our bold predictions um so I, th- I think uh, we should stick with that. I said Trey Young could be out of the league in three or four years, and that that hasn't aged like a fine wine. So no, he's been brilliant. I mean, uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll do a special episode before the new season starts about our predictions last season, and of course going into next season uh, yeah. as well. The other big dumpster fire, actually, that's the most obvious one, is the Knicks. So the Knicks turned down the su- turned down the chance to max Kristaps Porzingis, and instead they spent the money on three other power forwards so that was a bit of an odd one I mean okay Julius Randle that's right but then they signed Bobby Portis as well and they also signed Taj Taj Gibson and then they say they signed somebody else right aside from I don't know what's going on here the three power forwards aside they also gave a very terrible contract out as well um I think it was roughly like four, 10 million a year contracts that they handed out, uh, like candy, in the space of like a couple of hours. Oh, and they signed Alfred Payton as well. Yeah, and that's just come through. They just signed Alfred Payton. I mean... On a two-year, 16 million deal. What are the Knicks doing? I mean, I don't know who's run worse, the uh, the Hornets or the Knicks. Uh, We'll discuss the Hornets in a bit, but for now... What are the Knicks doing? What's going through his mindset? What's going through the GM's mindset right now? Does he Camille, um, obviously it's an NBA team. Say if you have 60 million in cap space, you if you don't land those major assets, um, you could may you could potentially say that oh it's a it's a bit of a waste if we don't sign anyone, if we don't reach our cap limit, because if we sign somebody for like a two-year deal. And in that first year, if they overperform and say exceed expectations, 
then you also, with that play, you have a bit of trade value. So having that 60 million in cap space, say, to roll through to next summer, um, potentially the GM's looking at that and saying, well, it's a bit of a waste of cap space, considering also that the 2020 free agent class isn't exactly... Um, it's it's nothing to write home about. That You've got Anthony Davis and Draymond, and I think most people would agree that they are very likely to stay in their current homes. So really, I think uh, the big player there is Gordon Hayward. So I'm, I understand these two-year salaries that are giving. People are saying, why wasn't it a one-year um, salary? Well, they could have given a one-year salary, but if one of those players like Bobby Porters, who does have potential, if he does perform well, then you've got potentially a little bit of trade value with him. Maybe get like a second round or a first round pick with him next year. But after all the build-up, I think I can't, I can't, uh, I can't say anything that Stephen A. Smith hasn't said. With with all the build-up and all the hype and all their third round, their third position draft pick, hoping to get Zion. How much hope New York Knicks fans had this summer? I think. This is a massive, massive letdown. And I feel sorry for any New York, New York fans who now then have to suffer with their Brooklyn neighbours just succeeding brilliantly with fantastic yeah. management and uh, coaching, of course, to make that team into into a real gelled, well well oiled machine. There, it's Absolutely. just, it's just, it's very, it's very, very sad times for New York fans and. You know they've suffered, they've suffered long enough. But some would say they should. Uh, this will give them a bit less reason to be so entitled going forward, which is always nice. New York fans, of course, aren't generally the most the most humble, the most graceful of fans. I but before I start slandering them more, one could make yeah. that argument. Yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, but I guess we can move to the last class. It's the class run of MJ, and it's. So, Charlotte, any team that picks up Terry Rozier for three years, 58 million, isn't a team that has a long-term vision for the future, unless they see something we just can't in Terry Rozier. Um, I'd actually uh, like you to elaborate on this, Camille. I, I, I want to know what your opinion on this. Right. Well, Terry Rozier, of course, OK, he's better as a starter than he's off the bench. He didn't perform too well off the bench in, in, in the Celtics last year, and course in the, the year before he was got the nickname scary terry on the way to the taking lebron to uh, seven games in the conference finals so you got an okay player there he's not too young he's 24 right now but he's not a player if you get rid of your franchise player why are you getting someone like terry rosier you'd be more valuable investing in a younger a more versatile point guard who is not scared to make mistakes, who can actually guide you and be the tank commander that you need, right? Because Hornets yeah. are no way near looking playoffs this season. I think they're going to finish in the bottom three. And so why splash out all your money on a player who is not really going to be your long-term franchise man? Exactly. Uh, you'll be looking to trade. No one's going to take on that contract. He's going to be a Hornet for three more years unless they yeah. buy him out. Yeah. So... I just, I just, I just think, I just think it's poor, really. I mean, you get, and they just got rid of players like Jeremy Lamb, and it's, it's, it's not, I, it's, it's hard to believe that someone got it worse than the Knicks, but the Hornets managed to do it. Yeah, and they've still got their logjam at the, 
powerful centre spot in terms of just really, really average players in those positions and overpaid also. Hey, don't dismiss uh, Frank the Tank, right? Yeah, uh, yes. He offered, uh, our, our, our lord and father, Biombo. I mean, they've got a couple of likeable guys there. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure as a Christian missionary, uh, they, they'd all do very well. But look, um, Jackson, but yeah. as a 24-year-old point guard, what kind of player do you want in terms of somebody who's going to potentially develop? Terry Rozier has never been an elite-level playmaker, nor has he, and he will never be an elite shooter. So where is the ceiling in, in, in a player like that? Sure, he could become an even better slasher, and he he's... Um, I, I don't want to like um, disrespect him too much. He is a fairly good floor general, but he's not, he's not like a visionary level of uh, passing. He doesn't display that on a regular basis. He's a very good defender, but that's it seems Kamel um, I'm just looking at this off season because of the talent in the well, max contract range it seems like there's a lot of players getting valued in the 15 to 20 million dollar range who who should really realistically never be valued as such I mean yeah that's fair I mean as you say this this free agency class was always I mean we didn't expect it to be so volatile but it was always going to be a lot of money thrown around and a lot of teams who didn't get you know those max players they're left with a lot of cap space and as you said a lot of cap space means they need to spend the money somewhere and players have all the bargaining power exactly but, i mean even this this is a this is a bit of a desperate reach i mean they could have gone for some could, could they have gone for someone like rubio i mean because this 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 is such a middling trade i mean it's not a young star and it's not a veteran point guard who's going to you know help the young players in fact, I got some worse news for the Charlotte. He's not even 24, he's 25, so he's a year older than we even thought. Um, he'll be 26 by next playoffs. And, and considering last year that he didn't get much playing time, he certainly will be also rusty at the beginning of the season as well. Yes, yeah, so it's just hard to know what's in the Charlotte's, Charlotte's mindset at this point and MJ's, yeah. MJ's mindset. Maybe he's too distracted. Maybe he's looking at Space Jam 2 and worrying if it'll pass <laughs> Franchise. I mean, and he's making these these moves to kind of distract and draw the audience away. I, I have no idea what's going on. I, I feel like surely he would have um, some sort of royalties in this Space Jam franchise. So um, he wouldn't be worried about outgrossing his original Space Jam, but potentially that, you know, he's too busy marketing it. Yeah. Well, Sorry. Charlotte are my big d d d losers of this free agency <laughs> day. Do you agree? Who are your big losers? Yeah, I'd, I'd say, I, I would controversially say Philadelphia. Wow. Yeah. Now, when they go on and uh, reach the NBA Finals next year, we'll have this on tape recorded for all to see. Mm -hmm. I'm just saving oh. that little clip right there. Who are <laughs> your winners of this trade deadline? I think, uh, yeah, you go first on this. I, please, you go first. I can't. I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. The big winners, it is a tough one because people have made some great trades. It's easy to say the Nets, but of course, I guess a lot of people thought that when they made trades for, you know, the likes of Paul Pierce and, and that. But it's, you know, it is sacrificing the future a little bit. I think... I think you've got to say it might actually be the Pacers. The because, 
the Pacers. Because they picked up two very nice pieces in Jeremy Lamb and Malcolm Brogdon. They've got Oladipo coming back and they've maintained their, you know, their big men. They've maintained Sabonis, Miles Turner and stuff. And with teams like the Celtics and Philly maybe dropping off a little bit, they've got a chance to maybe climb permanently into the upper echelon, the top four of the East. And I think they've made very, very sensible moves. It's unfortunate, you know, with Darren Collison and, and the likes of those kind of trades that they've had to kind of get rid of some of them more veteran players. But they've got a great young core. They've got talent all around the field and in depth. And that's why my big winners are the Pacers. And I would absolutely agree with that if they hadn't lost Bojan Bogdanovic. Um, but potentially if they hadn't lost uh, Bojan, they wouldn't have had the cap space for Brogdon. So with that in mind, um, I have spoken about this earlier, but I would probably say the Utah Jazz are the big winners. That's fair. More than fair. And so just to end, are there any weird trades? Are there any Are there any trades you think would be the most slept on if you just give a... Uh, just give one or two of them. Um, I We didn't really uh, discuss the future implications of this, and perhaps we may in the future, but just on a very side note, in terms of uh, Kyrie and KD playing together, that that duo will never, ever win a championship. And I think there's a multitude of reasons, but potentially the biggest one is the fact that they're, when you have two overly sensitive, ego-driven uh, players like that, because although they may be humble in terms of like their personal lives, um, they are both extremely emotional and they both want to be the absolute face of whichever franchise uh, they're a part of. But this is why Kyrie left LeBron in the first place, because he didn't like being in a shadow. And although a shadow is incapable of being produced if the earth is flat, that aside, um, while KD is going to be injured, Kyrie's going to be receiving all the love. When KD comes back, he's then going to have to clash with Kyrie. And I frankly think neither of them have the maturity to uh, put their egos aside and just, you know, play all out. And that, that's what we saw with Kyrie last season. We've seen it with KD throughout his career. So um, as, as much as people are lauding that trade, I think they will never see success purely... Uh, due to their personalities. Now, that is a controversial topic. I personally think they won't see success because as soon as KD walks in the door, Kyrie's going to ask him, hey, what does the word government mean to you? <laughs> and um, <laughs> KD's just going to walk out. He's just like, why did I do this? Well, the good news KD is, I guess... Uh, straight yeah. to that burner account. Yeah. Okay, he's run it and uh, he's going to make anti-Kyrie memes all day. He's going to send you <laughs> pictures of the globe, which would be... <laughs> Quite a big troll, as it were. Um, my personal slept-on trade was Derek Rose to the Pistons. And, of course, the Pistons are kind of hanging around the eighth seed. Uh, they didn't. The, we talked about this last season. The main reason they didn't succeed or get further is they've got two great big men, of course, in Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. But they didn't have a point guard. I didn't rate Reggie Jackson at all, and I still don't. Instead, they got rid of Ish Smith, and they got veteran guard Derek Rose, who was very good last season. And I think it was interesting. I mean, the only thing is in this is strategy. The Pistons seem to forever remain in this purgatory of eighth or ninth seed. And it's kind of frustrating <laughs> for Detroit fans. Yeah. Do they tank? Do they go all out? Do they waste Blake's best years? I guess not. 
But I think Derek Rose will be quite fun to watch on the Pistons, especially with uh, with those two towers uh, hanging around. Yeah, I can't disagree. Brilliant. Well, thanks for appearing on this podcast. We're going to make a new one, as we said at the start of the episode. Actually, after Kawhi makes his decision, that actually should be by Wednesday. It's Monday yes. right now. Yes, yeah. So whatever happens, it's going to be an episode. It's either going to be a celebration or, in fact, the, it, it's going to be a celebration either way because what Kawhi's given the Raptors, no one else did in 25 years. Raul, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been Thank a while. Thank you very much. And that was very poetically said, I must say. No worries at all. You know me.